Today we're going to be in Matthew 13. The last time we looked at the sin of disbelief as opposed to unbelief, there's a difference. And today we're going to look at the parable of the soils or the sower or the seed. It's been called many things, but you see the three main ideas in this parable that Jesus speaks about. So I'm going to jump right in with verse 1. And it says, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm not going to explain what the parable is, because Jesus does it in the next few verses, and he does a better job than me. So I'm going to leave that to him. Uh, But in verse 9, I want to key in on where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's an odd saying. Isn't that what our ears are for? Well, the interesting thing about our ears is there's no flap to cover it. So if you you don't want to hear someone, put earplugs in, but there's nothing on the body that will cover it for you. With the eyes, on the other hand, if you don't want to see something, all you have to do is close your eyes. So a lot of information gets into the ears, but it doesn't all get processed. Even if you look at the words hear versus listen, there are nuances in that word. We can hear a lot of things but not be listening. So a sign of a person interested in the things of God is to ask questions, and we see that through the scripture. But others, they just wanted their ears tickled. They liked to hear it. It was fanciful, but they didn't really put an effort into it. What we're going to notice with this hearing issue, Jesus said, is that there's personal responsibility of the hearer. There's personal responsibility for you today. If you've come in and you haven't been exposed to the Bible, you're going to hear God's word. You're going to hear Jesus speak, and you're going to hear him make spiritual analogies. And there's a personal responsibility to take the information of God's word and do something with it. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answers and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, now he's going to quote the Old Testament, Several hundred years prior, the prophet Isaiah, uh, 6, 9, and 10. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their heart and turn, so that I should heal them. So Jesus speaks to the multitudes in parables. Now the Greek word is uh, parabole, which is a composite of two words, to cast alongside. And we see him do this a lot. He'll take a, um, a spiritual truth, maybe hard for many to understand. What he'll do is, for the, you know, 
whether it's the simple folk or the educated folk, they could all understand what was going on at the time. Farming, weddings, whatever the case may be, tell a little story and say, this is how the spiritual truth plays out through this story. And even in Calvary Chapel, we believe in observation, interpretation, application. So we observe the scripture, we read it, we interpret it, what does it mean? And we apply it. How do I apply it to my life? Because the application is really the most important part, to get God's word into me and into my lifestyle and let me be changed by his word. That's the desire of God. Now, when you read this, initially it comes off that Jesus is being harsh. Actually, listen to Chuck Smith on this, and he said, very interesting uh, conjecture, that Jesus, they were hard of hearing, they were dull, they weren't spiritually getting it. So he told them a little story, and sometimes a story helps along. And sometimes even, you'll, maybe I'll tell a story from the pulpit or another pastor, and you'll go home, you remember the story, and then you remember the spiritual truth because of the story. So, two things that I want to cover before we jump into this headlong, very important. Number one, if a person does not get into heaven, it is not God's fault. There is an unscriptural doctrine called double predestination, which basically means that there's some that God really loves. He creates them, he has favor upon them, and he wills them to go to heaven even against their will. Then there's another group that he creates them, he hates them, and he creates them just to destroy them and damn them, and they have no chance to, to get to heaven, which is not true because Romans 10 tells us that hearing comes from the word of God. So it's, it's an odd doctrine. If you've heard it, discard it because it's not scriptural. You see, the soil is the condition of a person's heart, and that's what we'll see. The second point is that we have context. What's the context? Well, the sower throws the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And depending on which heart it falls on is dependent on whether it's going to receive, be received and grow, right? So we're speaking really about unbelievers who are hearing this, hearing God's word, and what do they do with it? However, it would be a, a tragedy if we didn't take some of the problems that we see in this parable and not apply them to the believers in the church because some believers fall under some of these difficulties of the soils. So you will see me vacillate between the unbeliever and the believer. A key to what Jesus is saying is, and I'll just get through the, because the chunk, there's a chunk of Old Testament scripture right in the middle and it's not there for no reason. Uh, he quotes Isaiah and in Isaiah's day there were a few things happening. Isaiah and Isaiah's contemporaries spoke about judgment. They spoke about the sins of Israel. You guys are really going away from God. Okay, you, you really need to repent. Well, the northern kingdom did not listen, so judgment came in the form of Assyrians in 722 BC. They came and took over and conquered the northern kingdom. Isaiah said, and his contemporaries, okay, Judah, the southern kingdom, still Israelites, you saw what happened to them. <laughs> you guys are falling into the same problem. They didn't listen. So because of their sin, judgment came, God said, in the form of the Babylonians, right? Uh, in Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, in 586 B.C. So there was uh, consequences and repercussions for, for sins of God's people, and judgment came. Now, in Isaiah 6, the context is that King Uzziah dies. He was a very popular king in um, Judah, and he ruled for a long time, and the people really looked up to him, maybe almost in place of God in some respects. But when King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the Lord gives him a commission to preach to the Israelites. But unfortunately, there was going to be negative results. Wholesale, the majority of them are going to reject God's word. So there's your context. In Jesus' day, let's, let's fast forward 
few centuries, there was a similar attitude. Number one, there was a spiritual apathy. Oh, spiritual things. Two, there was a lack of repentance for sin. And three, they took Jesus' miracles, they took his food, they took his healings, they brought people over to him who were hungry and, and had some type of disability, and Jesus you know, healed them. And, but the, but Jesus' words about the kingdom, we're not interested in that. They, the Bible really does say in, in nicer words that they used him for what they could get out of him, but the word of God, it, it, didn't, it didn't stick very well. So we're going to go through this. This Old Testament scripture is important. I just go through the Greek words that are used here, and, and it really brings out the flavor more. It says, number one, in verse 15, that the heart of this people has grown dull. Now, the word for heart is pakuno, which in the English we get the word pachyderm from. How many of you know what a pachyderm is? Right? Elephant, hippopotamuses. It's an animal with a thickening of the skin. It's a composite word. So what does elephants and rhinoceroses have to do with this? Well, give me a moment. The word can mean to thicken or to render callousness. Now, the people's hearts became, of course, not the four-chamber muscle in the center of your chest, but in a sense, their hearts, their attitude, what permeated them, who they were. They became thickened and callous to God. Oh, God, the things of God. I've got a life to live. Now, this can happen in any relationship, but unfortunately with these uh, people, it happened with their relationship with God. Two, it says their eyes, they have closed didn't say God closed them. They closed their own eyes. There's a conjugation of that verb. They did it to themselves. And third, he says, lest they should understand with their heart and turn. The word there is for repentance. God wanted them to repent so that he could do what? That I, the Lord, should, should shall, would, will heal them. And that was God's desire for them to just repent so he could heal them. So he could make them have a relationship with them. But he wasn't going to go against their wills. When you take this apart, what you find out is we, don't, we can't blame. Again, some will look at the scripture and say, boy, that's a little harsh. And there's an element of blaming God. The truth is they did it to themselves and it was very sad. God sent them lifelines. He sent the prophets. We see this even in the Old Testament. He sent them the Messiah. He may be sending you a lifeline. He might be sending you a messenger, a coincidence that you run into somebody that just starts to talk to you about the Lord and your need for him. What are you going to do about it? We talked last Sunday about willful um, disbelief. Unbelief, I don't know anything, someone has to show it to me. Disbelief is now you see it, you know better, and you reject it. Don't fall into the category of willful disbelief. But here's the encouraging part, and as always, you know, the Bible is filled, and this is why I get frustrated with some of these feel-good preachers, because they only preach the sweet part, but they don't preach the bitter part. The bitter part is we are sinners, and we need a Savior. If all you're hearing is the sweet stuff, you don't know why it's sweet. You know, it becomes much sweeter when we understand what we're saved from and why we're saved from it. The encouraging part is in Isaiah's day, and Jesus' day, and today, and the tribulation period we covered in the Revelation study, that there is a remnant. Be part of the remnant. Mark 4.13. I just want to skip to Mark. Um, I love to take all the Gospels together. Mark, Luke, John, uh, Matthew. 
They all see it from a certain perspective, and each one of the gospel writers adds a little bit more flavor to it from their perspective, and it, makes the, it completes the picture. So Mark 4.13, And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So what we see is two things. Number one, the disciples also didn't know on their own. They didn't just get it. It took them a long time. Even the, the night before that Jesus was crucified, they still you know, fell into their bodily needs for sleep versus them praying with the Lord and, and giving them comfort. It wasn't really until the Holy Spirit wholesale that they really started to get this stuff and they went out in power. So the disciples, they didn't know on their own, but they had the desire to learn. How many times do you see them asking Jesus questions? Right? How many times do they think things in their hearts and Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Imagine walking with him, there's nothing that was not open to him. And then, of course, when it's like a bunch of little kids, when nobody wanted to ask the silly question, they would put Peter up to it. And Peter certainly obliged them with asking those questions. But I just love it. There was a desire there to learn. Verse 12. This is interesting. He says, for whoever has to him will be given. More will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Again, does that sound harsh? If you're a student of the Bible, you've seen that phraseology just like that in another portion of Scripture. And that's in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Now, what's interesting about the parable of the talents was God gave them abilities. He gave them talents. He wanted them to do things in the spiritual realm. And one guy refused. And Jesus quotes this again. Again, the man's refusal to obey God and to follow God, it's the same thing here. It's a willful Refusal. You see that in both parables. You see, God has designed us with the ability to be reconciled to him. Jeremiah 29, 13, one of my favorite scriptures. God says, if you, anyone here, anyone listening on the website, anyone listening on the CD, if you seek me, anyone seeks God with his whole heart, God says, I will be found by you. That is a promise. doesn't matter who it is. You seek God with a whole heart. You're really looking for him you'll find him. You can, you can take that one to the bank. Verse 16. Jesus said, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The disciples were in a different age, and so are we. The age of mysterion in the Greek, where we get the word mystery from. And that's the age where all the mysteries of the Old Testament, you know, all the prophecies started to triangulate over the time of Christ. And the New Testament, the, through, the, through the teachings of Christ and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, brought all these mysteries together. And now, disciples, you're getting to see stuff that the prophets, remember 1 Peter 1, that the prophets prophesied about, not even knowing what they were saying, but they were being obedient of, of this future salvation to come. First Peter also says things that angels desire to look into. So this is really a neat age for the disciples, and it's a great age for us because we have so many Bibles, we have so many commentaries, we have Greek translations, we have, you know, do we take it for granted? We have the mysteries of God. We have the, the teachings of God literally at our fingertips. And if you're not a good reader, you can get it on audio file. You can go on the, on the internet and find visual aids to the, to the Holy Land. I mean, it's just all there for the taking. 
So before we jump in, we need to ask ourselves this question. Which soil am I? What about the thorns and the stony paths? Do I have tendencies towards those areas? These are good questions to ask before we jump in. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Again, the seed is the word of the kingdom, also mentioned in Luke as the word of God. Basically, we're starting with the gospel. We're starting with the truths of salvation. Now, we're starting to see more pulpits departing, men in the pulpits departing from the Bible. I've, I've watched some Christian TV just to kind of get a kick out of it. And there'll be a guy up there and, and he'll have his Bible closed. It'll be sitting on the pulpit and it never gets opened. It's a prop. Sort of like when you have a play and you put on a fake beard and a fake robe and you pretend you're somebody else. The Bible is on the pulpit as a prop. Well, we're, we're expected to have that there. We're expected to have the really old ones in a glass case that nobody can open them anymore. That's not what the word of God is for. If the Bible says we reap what we sow and we're not sowing the word, which is the good seed, how much of a harvest can we expect in the church if we're not using God's word? Listen, it doesn't matter what your pastor's political bend is. I don't share it. It's not important. It doesn't matter my platitudes. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we're throwing out, we're giving out that good seed. That's what we want to do. I would say this too, that you know, we can look at this and emulate what Jesus was doing with this sowing issue. I mean, I did the devotions with the children's ministry this morning, the teachers. You know, we, we want to emulate the Lord. We want to be a representation. Are we all evangelists? I think that if we really wanted to reach somebody with the word, I believe that the Spirit would give us the words, no doubt. Uh, are we all Bible teachers? Maybe not. But maybe just your life, the fact that they know you're a Christian and you are different. You know, you're not um, cheating the boss or you're not um, whatever the case may be. Others look at you and say, wow, uh, you're, you're different. I would tell you that I, I was uh, this week... I'm studying the message, and God always uses what I do during the week to teach me lessons. I was in my garage, the door was open, and I was fixing my chainsaw. There was something wrong with it. I was really getting irritated because it always worked so many times before. So I'm playing with my chainsaw, and and right at the end of my driveway, there are guys working on the power lines. There's like five or six of them, you know, really manly guys, you know. Um, So I'm there working on my chainsaw, and um, I felt the Lord say to me, go tell them about me. I'm like, you know, I'm working on my chainsaw right now. I mean, we can be disobedient, can't we? Well, it, it didn't take long for me to fix it, and then I, I went. Now, they were um, throwing out profanity and stuff, so I made the assumption that they probably could hear the word of God. And I could tell them to stop cursing in front of my house, but there were six of them and one of me, so I, I really didn't want to get a beating that day. But I brought some Bibles with me, and I started sharing with them. And at first, you know, there's that peer thing. They, they were blocking me. It was like, oh, I could feel the, you know, the force field. You know, they were like, not letting me get in. And they, were, they took a lot of breaks because probably a government job or something. <laughs> so, so I had plenty of time to try. Eventually, one guy, an older guy on the crew, broke the ice and he said, are you selling those? I said, no, they're free. He goes, well, give me one. I need all the help I can get. So it was neat. So the other guys, oh, I'll take one, I'll take one. Well, because he was kind of the alpha male. You, you can, it's a little psychological thing there, but it was a rough crowd, but it was a blessing. You know, um, 
Maybe one of them out of, out of six of them had fertile heart. Maybe two or three, I don't know. We'll see what the Lord does. Well, let's go back to the soils here. The first soil or the first heart is the wayside or the road. Now, in the natural world, if you throw seed, and for those of you who have reseeded your grass by hand or planted stuff, and you know, you're just throwing the seed and some of it gets on your driveway or the road, well, it's not going to germinate. So what's going to happen is birds are going to say, hey, that looks good, and they're going to pluck up the seed, and they're going to take it. Now, understand this. God loves the birds, but in the Bible, birds were um, emblematic of, and, and we'll see this in next Sunday too, of you know, the evil one or the demonic realm. It's just where it is in the scripture. It's just an analogy. It doesn't mean birds are bad in real life. So what happens is that the seed is taken. Now, I do want to be sensitive to your feelings because many of you, including me, have loved ones that don't know the Lord. And I want to encourage you, keep praying for them. Because I believe that God can change hearts. We see that in the scripture. I believe Romans 10 says that the heart will change, that the word of God will penetrate it. So it may not happen the first time. And I will tell you that at least five times that I could remember in my life that I flat out rejected the word and it was plucked up and I didn't do anything with it. But eventually, you know, I, I got saved. So I just want to encourage you with that. Keep praying. But what we do see here is human responsibility. Now, I would say this, that there are some who, well, I don't get what was said from the pulpit today. Or um, I did try to read the Bible and I didn't get it. So I closed it and I was done. Human responsibility. How many people will uh, master some type of computer program? Oh, I don't get it the first time. And you keep trying. Or a sport, right? Um, the movie Soul Surfer, you know, the, arm bit off her, or the shark bit her arm off. And this is a true story. She kept trying and trying and failing. Eventually, she became a champion surfer again. So how many things do we put an effort into in the world, but then with the things of God, oh, it's too hard and quit? That's a problem. And, and that's, not, that's not being genuine. I do tell new believers that the attacks come the hardest in the beginning and to be careful. That time that the six people came up to receive the Lord, I did say to them, you know, you, you got to get plugged in. You got to make ties. You got to, um, you know, continue to be in the word because that is the time you make that profession of faith. Satan is going to try to take that away from you. So I tell new believers, it, it starts in the beginning. Now, I would say this, um, some of you may be thinking, so the birds are snatching away the seed. What about the scripture where Jesus says, no one can be snatched out of my hand? I believe that in this case, if the heart isn't right and the seed isn't germinating, that the bird can take it away. So it's not um, God or Satan is not going to do anything against your will. If you have a relationship with the Lord, Satan cannot take that from you. It's, it's, a, very, it's, a, it's a tough uh, portion of scripture. Verse 20 but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Second soil, second heart, the stony places. And this is an interesting thing because if you've ever seen some uh, paved roads or um, you know, some of those blocks that are put down, uh, and there's a pathway. If they're, if they're not kept up, what happens is, you know, there's soil that uh, erosion, it, it covers it at some point, and then you can see grass growing. So in May and June, it looks beautiful. You wouldn't know anything's under there. But in July and August, when the sun comes up and it's really hot and it can't hold the moisture, what happens? 
you'll see little, whatever's underneath there, you'll see the outline in yellow. The grass will turn yellow because it doesn't have the moisture, it doesn't have the depth of, of the root. So in the natural world, Jesus would say something and they would go, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Jesus, is, he's a master. It's just, I love it. I love his analogies here. In the spiritual realm, the sun is a picture of those trials that eventually test the person's heart and character. The person receives it with joy. Luke, 18, or Luke 8 says, believes for a while, and here comes the sun. Now, I do want to switch gears for a moment. I want to switch gears to the church because... The, the moisture, the root, all this kind of stuff. I do want to go into this for a moment. How many of you know, uh, have heard of Norman Geisler? I mean, he's one of the foremost apologetics uh, teachers probably in the world. The man is, really knows his Bible, and the guy's very bright. There was a, um, a forum called 30 Minutes with Norm Geisler, and they were talking about some of the, the teachings and the, um, the doctrines that, started to, that are getting into the church now and are being accepted. He mentioned um, T.D. Jakes. Many of you might know him. The guy's into like that oneness Pentecostalism. Do you know that that comes from Sabellianism? What's that? Sabellianism gave birth, Sabellianism gave birth to modalism. Modalism teaches that, and you can see it on his website, the manifestations of God. So God is the father, and then when he's the son, he leaves heaven completely. He's not triune, and he all of a sudden he shapeshifts into the son. So when Jesus is praying to the Father, there's really nobody there listening. He's talking to himself. That's not biblical Christianity. You can find this stuff easy, but he's permeated the Christian genre. Norman Geisler, when they asked him, why is there so much of this in Christianity? Quote, he said, the evangelical church in America is 3,000 miles wide and one inch deep. He said, we are doctrinally shallow. That is a big problem in the church today. We're more concerned with personalities in the pulpit. We're more concerned with ministries. We're more concerned with authors. And a lot of believers don't know their Bibles. That is a problem. That's the only thing that's going to keep you from succumbing to some of these false doctrines. No, 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 something's wrong. I'm listening to what these guys, this, he's saying. I know that's in the Bible somewhere. Even if I can't find it right now, I will find it. Because it's in my heart. It's a check in my spirit. There's a lot of what I call, well, I wish I could have coined the term, but it's called gospel light, a watered-down version of the gospel, more geared towards feelings. We need to be, be getting fed. It's, it's more about feedings than feelings. Believers not laying down roots. How many believers do you know that are shallow? That if somebody was to pull up the grass, it would come right up because there's no roots. There's no depth. Right? We be, need to be concerned about that stuff. Now, in this situation, this is the unbeliever without roots. This is the unbeliever without the character. It sounds good at first. It's interesting. I receive it with joy. It's an emotional experience, and that's about the size of it. When the, when the sun comes, they beat feet. They're gone. Now, another problem, according to Luke 8, if we want to put all this together, is that this seed lacked moisture. So what's the solution? The, the solution is water. We know that any seed in the real world needs a lot of moisture for the germination process. And if we look at Ephesians 5, that Jesus sanctifies and cleanses us uh, by the washing of water by the word. So let me get this straight. That this, the seed is the word of God, but now you need moisture, which is also the word of God? It's very easy, and, and this is what I believe it is. 
When you don't know the Lord and you hear the things of God, you hear of his love, you hear about what Jesus did for you, you hear that you're a sinner. That's that seed. That's the thing that says to you, all of a sudden your heart starts to change. Wow, I do need a relationship with him. I am lacking something in my life. But that constant washing of the water by the word is now that we do, we are born again. If we are born again, we need to continually be immersed in the word of God. See what I'm saying? Now that the thicker things, maybe the, the milk of the word gives way to the meat of the word. And now you're, you're on a stronger diet and your, your walk is strengthened. Your, your, your salvation is sure because now it's not just an emotional experience anymore. So that, that's what you have there. New believers need to be exposed to the word. That's the only thing that's going to grow you. Now, he... The Bible says that the person receives with gladness, but endures for a while until persecution, temptation, and trials come. And they will come. And I want to encourage you, if you've recently come up to receive the Lord, don't quit. Don't quit. I can't tell you how many that I've talked to, hey, I haven't seen you in church, you know, see them around town or whatever. And, well, their friends made fun of them, so they stopped coming. Their family said, well, you guys read the Bible? You must be in a cult. They stopped coming. So expect those storms, expect that sun, that intense heat, that persecution to come, maybe even from those that you love. Don't quit. You know, if you have any substance within you, if you endure anything worldly, don't quit the Lord. Stay in it. It gets better, right? And you'll get stronger. Verse 22. Now he who received, and I'm only going to go through these two more verses and then we'll save the rest for next Sunday, but it says, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The third soil is one that is with the thorns. Now, this seed is actually allowed to grow a little bit, but the thorns choke it. It's very interesting. One of the biggest problems in the American church is the affluence. You may say, well, I'm not rich. Okay, go out of this country (laughs) and go to the other nine-tenths of the world, and we'll see we are rich. We have more in this country than, than most other countries have. I have friends who live in Europe, and they say, oh, the apartments are really small. We don't have the excess space that you have here in America. That's Europe. So understand, now when you go to some other countries, Central America and such, people are living in, in poverty, subsistent, and, and that's what they're used to, dirt floors, um, wooden structures like cardboard boxes. It, it's very sad. So affluence in America can be a minefield. Of thorns. Now, I'll just say this. In, in my house, there's a, there was a section of a wooded area that there was this. You ever see that thorn bush that grows? And you don't want to go there because you could just walk in there even with pants on. It'll cut you right through the pants. And I noticed that that area in my yard that has the thorn bush growing, nothing else grows there. Would you believe it? Not even a weed. Yeah. <laughs> That stuff is so invasive and powerful that it, I don't know what it does. It must take their nutrients. It wraps around them, like Jesus says, and nothing grows there except those nasty thorns. I got to go in there with a machete or these big scissors and, you know, get my legs all cut up. But it's, it's pretty nasty. In the spiritual realm, the following are thorns to our faith. Number one, the cares of this world. I took the words apart like I love to do, or the distractions of this world. Mark adds the desire for other things or better options. Imagine that, a better option than what God has. People find it in the world or what they think is a better option. It's deceitful. 
We have to ask ourselves a few questions before we move on. What do you spend the majority of your time doing or thinking? What is it that keeps getting in the way of taking just a few minutes out of the day to pray, to read a devotion, to pray with your spouse, to do the things of God, to serve him? Three, what is it that distracts you from God? What has mastered you? What has come to your mind? It might be something innocuous. It may be a relationship. doesn't mean that person's the devil. It just means that your priorities are messed up. All right, and, and you, you really need to pray about how to fix that. What is it that, or who is it, that you may be afraid to lose by following the Lord? The second point, Luke tells us, the cares of this world, we, we covered that, the desire for other things too. Luke tells us the pleasures of life. Now, the word I believe in Greek is hedone, where we get hedonism from. So there's a sensuality component to it. Sensuality is not bad. God has designed ways for us to enjoy ourselves, especially within marriage. It's not a bad thing. However, there's um, situations that God feels or God says are sinful, and we need to agree with that. Other biblical principles of denying self, it's not all about the body and feelings. We don't worship our bodies. Our bodies, do you realize, are just a vehicle to carry our spirit through this world. And the part of us that's really internal, eternal is not the body, but it's the spirit. These bodies are going to decay, and eventually they're not going to remain in this state. Have self-control, but the world keeps pushing feel good. Okay, I read in the paper, and I got annoyed, so I shouldn't always read the paper, that Rutgers University, where I graduated from, they gave $32,000 to Snooky to speak for two hours. Can you believe that? $32,000. Imagine what that could be used for. For two hours, she spoke about um, hairspray, alcohol, sex, and tanning. She said, study hard, but party harder. $32,000 for that. Sensuality is an industry. Sensuality is an industry. The United States imports and exports pornography, the sex slave trade, drugs, prostitution, if there was no demand for it, there wouldn't be a supply for it. It's simple economics. What about the elusive search for fun, right? You know, some will take up you know, bungee jumping from a helicopter, <laughs> you know, not me. <laughs> and then after a while, that becomes boring and they try something else. You know, the elusive search for fun. Fun is good. I mean, there's nothing sinful about doing that if that's your thing. But where are our priorities? We have a family in our church that I'm really blessed by that uh, the boys, the, the mother is a greeter, the father is, our, is an usher. The boys came in and they come in the last few weeks in their soccer uniforms. Is that appropriate? I'd say absolutely. And mom even said that she wanted to coach the games so that she could have more control over when the games are so that they can come to church for it. Kudos to that family. What a blessing. Because they have their priorities straight. So God wants us to have fun. The sensuality is allowable in, in, in certain uh, situations, but we don't worship it, and we don't get distracted by it. Three, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, the word for deceitfulness is really a delusion or a lie. And I will tell you this. Wealthy families are not insulated from the following. Suicides, drug addiction, unhappiness. 
Some lives have been ruined by coming into money. Do a study of those who have won the lottery. And I know many say, well, I'd like to take my chances with that, you know. (laughs) But the truth is, a lot of the deceitfulness really has to do with sacrifice. If we are lied to by riches, well, there's not a whole lot of sacrifice there. And in some respects, it does insulate us physically, but it, it hurts us spiritually. It can actually make the walk weaker. Because you're not relying on the Lord, you're re- relying on your wealth. Now, this is a great analogy that Jesus used with these thorn bushes. And I, you know, after I read this, I went out to my backyard and I just, I'm looking at the thorn bushes. And they're, they're all twisty and turny and, and they, they become these big, it almost looks like razor wire on the top of a prison. It's like, where do you start to get rid of them? But this is what they do. Something will grow in the center of them and they'll slowly just start to turn and spiral and go around the thing and whatever's growing thinks it's okay. And then the thorn bush gets closer and closer and closer and closer. It's a little dramatic, but you get the picture. Unless they're uprooted, they will destroy little by little and before you know it, the vegetation is gone. So it's a great analogy. Deceitfulness, lies. Wealth lies to you by number one, telling you, some of you, that you're better than others. It will, riches will lie to you by telling you that you can be insulated from all your troubles. Riches will lie to you by telling you that if you are wealthy or you come into wealth, that God must be blessing you. Dangerous. And that's seen in ministry too. Some have the impression because some ministries are doing well financially or they're packing the seats, that that must mean God is blessing them. That is a lie and it's deceitful. Now, I will say this. This doesn't mean that somebody who's wealthy is evil. I know there's a big class warfare thing going in in politics, and I've known a few that have, able, have been able to handle wealth amazingly. And that is a great characteristic, that they, they use their wealth to support the things of the Lord. So let's just put that caveat in there. The thorns, what do they do? They choke a person and they become unfruitful. They become barren and devoid of all spirituality. So um, it's, it's not a good thing. Verse 23, and here's the good news. This is the best part of the whole parable. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. The fourth soil, good ground, a good, rich, you know, you ever see that really black, rich topsoil? You can get some brown topsoils that are okay, but man, the, you, if, you, if you've had a, a place that hasn't been touched, the wooded area and the leaves and the bugs and everything just decayed, and you take off that top layer and you just see that real black, rich Soil. It is, oh, it's got nutrients in it. No matter what you put in it, it just keeps growing. I remember my wife and I did our, our uh, vegetable garden, and we had one, uh, one load of this black topsoil. You could put anything in there, and it'll, we actually grew watermelons and other melons. It's, I'm like, what? That's amazing. As long as you keep putting water in there, the thing grows. So this, this is a good heart. This is a person who understands, or even if they don't understand, they ask questions. They want to know the things of the Lord. This is a person who produces fruit. In John 15, Jesus says that naturally, if we abide in him, we will produce fruit. And the ones that don't produce fruit are just to be cut off and withered and thrown into the fire. So producing fruit, and Jesus a hundredfold. This is an amazing 
overflow of a harvest. Now, the truth about salvation and walking with God, it brings real fulfillment and overflow. As long as there's a void and an emptiness and a lack of purpose, there will be many that will write books. There'll be many, you know, Dr. Phil shows and Dr. Oz, and when he's gone, it'll be Dr. Somebody Else, you know, and, and everybody flocks to them. And I don't have anything against them personally, but what they do is they, they, they're very good at finding the voids that people have and trying to fill them. But if the Lord is not in it, it just leads to emptiness, you see? The void can only be filled by a relationship with the Lord. Look at New Year's resolutions. I mean, I think the studies say by sometime in February, everybody's the average, they're done. Whatever your resolution is by February, it's done. And usually it's, I got to go to the gym or I got to quit smoking or whatever it is. But this is the way to go. This is real fulfillment in a believer's life. I believe me, on the other side, before I was a believer, I was concerned that um, it wasn't going to be fun and I had the wrong impression that Christians are boring and all these things. And uh, when I came to the Lord, I said, gee, I, I should have made that commitment to him earlier. It would have saved a lot of heartache in my life. Real fulfill- fulfillment from having a relationship with the Lord and producing fruit. So I would say this to the unbeliever today, whoever you are, there's four soils. Which one is your heart? Is it the good soil? Are you wrestling because there's other things that are, are, are competing with the Lord's affection in your life? It's a good question to ask to the believer. Are there aspects of bad soils in our lives? Can we look at the other three soils and say, gee, there's some aspects there that I'm kind of on the fringe. Are there some distractions there? Is there a love of the world a little bit there in my heart that just keeps pulling me away to the world? I did my job of sowing the seed today by reading to you God's word. Now it's your job to decide what you're going to do with the seed that you received. Let's pray. Father,